Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Jim Hempel. Today I'll be talking with director of photography Nancy Schreiber, ASC, and writer-director Dan Mervish about their film Between Us. A tense, riveting, and moving portrait of two couples in crisis, Between Us recalls Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and the films of John Cassavetes in its searing examination of relationships, but it has a style and insights that are completely its own. The film and its cast, which includes Tay Diggs, Melissa George, David Harbour, and Julia Stiles, have been receiving rave reviews on the festival circuit, and on the eve of its theatrical release, Nancy and Dan are here to talk about their work. Okay, well, Dan, maybe to start, uh, you could describe the film and talk a little bit about its origins for the listeners who haven't seen it yet. Sure. It's um, uh, Thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, it's, between us, it's an adaptation of an off-Broadway play, and it's basically about two couples yelling and throwing things at each other. And it's an... Um, you know, I uh, my last film was a real estate musical, and there was talk of turning that into a Broadway show, so that took me to New York. And while I was there, I, I said, well, as long as I'm meeting with Broadway people, uh, do you guys have any plays that would make good film adaptations, not necessarily musicals? And I read a stack of 30 plays, and, and there were really only two that I liked. One was Between Us, and the other was a play called Farragut North, which I wound up passing on. And of course, George Clooney got a happy ending out of my sloppy seconds on that one. He did fine with that. And um, uh, But anyway, but I thought Between Us would be an easier film to make at a lower budget if I had to make it at a lower budget, which I did. Um, and, and kind of also fit with more where I was going through my life at the time, you know, with new kids and yeah, but family. I've seen your household, and you don't throw things there. No, no, we have a strict no throwing thing <laughs> <laughs> policy in mind. Um, and I thought it could make an interesting adaptation too. I, in the sense that you know, in the original play, the whole first act was set in a New York apartment, yeah, uh, Midwestern house, and the second act was in a New York apartment. And then, you know, I came up with the idea of kind of shuffling those back and forth in, in time. And then I got together with Joe Hortua, the playwright. We wrote the adaptation together, and yeah. It was easy. Yeah. Well, I was curious about what kinds of changes you made from the play to the movie right. because I know a lot of times, you know, there's this conversation about whether or not to open things up and you know, you mentioned jostling the structure around a little bit, but yeah. were there other changes that you made? Well, I, I I think you're right. I mean that that's the phrase everyone always uses is how are you going to open it up? But really what they should be saying is how are you gonna make it more cinematic? And we all know, you know, that's both in what you put on the screen, but also the order that you put it on, you know, and in, in editing, you can go back and forth in time in, a, in film that you just can't do certainly as easily on stage. So we did a, we did a lot, we, you know, as far as shuffling back and forth, both in the script stage, but also then in, in post-production as well. Um, and then, and then there's other scenes too. There's a scene in a car, there's a scene, you know, a lot of times in the play where they would describe monologues or dreams that they had, things like that, obviously, you know, we would shoot those. So, you know, we had an Argentinian scene, a scene on top of a mountain. Uh, well, it would, well, it looks like it's snow in, in the Midwest. We In real life, we went to the top of a mountain to shoot it. So there's a lot of things like that that, um, you know, you just couldn't easily do on a, in a play. Well, Nancy, uh, at what point did you come on board here, and what were your first impressions upon reading the script? Um, well, I had known of Dan because of Slam Dance, um, usually uh, Park City, 
traveler every January to mostly Sundance, and uh, we actually met in Park City. And at a, a Vilma Sigmund uh, coffee Sh- talk at that's Slamdance. That's right. Kodak was sponsoring Vilma mm-hmm. at the top of the hill. So that seems like a good place to meet a cinematographer, right? Absolutely. The room was filled with them. And I read the script, and I was riveted. You know, it's just it reminded me of, of what's been uh, compared to her, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but you also think it's something you've uh, carnal to. knowledge yeah, I, right. you know which is another you know mike nichols sure you know movie but um, uh yeah it was definitely intense and uh there was humor which i liked as well as some very heavy dialogue between the couples and amongst the four friends so um i was interested in working with dan i certainly knew of him for a long time uh and I liked that there were some interesting actors possibly attached at the time because I knew that it was going to be limited in a couple locations and uh, there was only so much we could do on a small budget. Uh, so the actors would have to be mighty good, and they were. Yeah. Now, that, now that would imply that we had any budget, but <laughs> right. <laughs> we didn't. We, uh, we made do. We made do. Yeah, well, it's interesting you bring up Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf because it definitely reminded me a lot of that movie as well as some Cassavetes movies and stuff like these movies about marital discord. But you guys kind of went in a different direction visually from what those movies do because like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is very stark and kind of the lighting's kind of unforgiving and it's actors and you guys went in this direction that was, you know, really gorgeous. I mean, the characters are lit beautifully uh, and it almost, in a way, makes their pain and tension more obvious and poignant because on the outside, everything looks so inviting. And I was wondering how you guys came to decide on that approach. Well, part of it is it comes from the characters. The, the, the two uh, male characters are both photographers, and there's a real distinction. One, uh, the Tay Diggs character is a New York art photographer, and the David Harbour char- character is an you know, advertising very wealthy advertising photographer in the Midwest. And so we kind of took that as the jumping off point uh, for both production design, but also kind of um, a little bit of the cinema, cinematographic mm-hmm. style and um, to kind of distinguish between these two locations and these two couples and these two characters. Um, you want to talk about that? Well, I was interested in the more opulent uh, Midwestern house versus the funky New York apartment where... The baby bottles are right there with the chemicals for developing. Right, and that actually came right from from uh, Carl Knowledge, the yeah. character. Exactly. And there's a scene where they have that. So there, there was a grittiness to the New York uh, uh, location. Um, actually, we shot it in a hotel suite right here in Hollywood. And the Midwest house was shot on Franklin, yeah. also. <laughs> all, all less than a mile from here. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we had one day in New York for some exteriors that and, uh, we used wisely with a little Julia. Bit of, uh, a little bit of Nebraska New- exteriors. Nebraska. Uh, and, you know, we made it work at the Redberry Hotel, including uh, uh, the their dining room, their famous um, restaurant there. So... I was drawn to the, the thought of contrasting these two relationships in their lives visually. And Dan, I liked that he had a very visual sensibility. Um, 
And I, I just I thought it would be a lot of fun and certainly a challenge. We shot in very few days. And I think it was intentional, you know, that we kept trying in whatever means we could to make it feel less like a play. You know, I mean, it was, you know, what what I always liked about the play were, was the dialogue and the characters, and and really, you know, ninety percent of the dialogue in the movie is from the original play. So we were never sort of hiding the fact that it was from a play. It says it says it right there in the front credits. Um, but by the same token, we want you know, some movies are a visual medium, so. We, at every step of the way, we would say, okay, well, how can we make this seem more visual and, 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 you know, look pretty? Now, I was pretty adamant about the time of day uh, that the uh, Nebraska uh, footage happens or the, the Nebraska scenes happen because we had this house, friends of friends, and it was all windows. And... When I read the script initially, yeah, it was it, set at night. It was everything was night. And I was like, first of all, we're not going to work nights. We can't afford to tent, and we're wasting all this great daylight. So, uh, so it's late afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> and it gets evening. and it does go into night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I think we added a lot of crickets. We did, and we I, we chose wisely. Um, also, the ceilings were low, so I couldn't do a lot of night rigging. So, uh, so that was the only thing I really pushed. And also, the two cameras. I knew we needed to have two cameras, and I think we used them wisely. Yeah. We used two Red MX cameras. At that point, the Epic was not out. And uh, I think we did well. We had the, the ever-revolving crew. It was a very small movie, and we did it very quickly. And the great thing was Nancy was teaching at um, AFI at the time, so a lot of her students wound up being our operators, grips. All well, it's funny. I noticed things. in the end credits, like I was going to ask how many cameras you had because there, there were more operators in the end credits for this movie <laughs> than I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, well, did they shoot this with like 15 cameras or something? Um, yeah, too. We actually had, we had a third camera body that we flew in from Nebraska, a RED, that um, some of our investors uh, who are farmers in Nebraska actually own a RED. Um, as well as the largest tractor in the world, but um, but they like the red too. Uh, but yeah, we just every day we would they have different, different operators. You know, we had a couple key people that were persistent, and um, but yeah, different days. And so you know, I look at it now and I go, oh okay, I, I recognize that person's operating and that person's. <laughs> and um, but it was fun too because people just you know chipped in. You know, no one was getting paid, or at least we didn't know. We, people would be getting paid our main investors money his check only cleared the third to the last day of shooting so we sort of everyone who came on board we're like okay this is for free you might get paid but you might not so be here because you want to be here and luckily there's enough great people in la who, who wanted I, to be there i have a lot of friends and they're still talking to me i think everybody's proud of the work we did mm -hmm. yeah yeah, well, um, obviously it's a very performance-driven movie, and I'm wondering if, you know, shooting with the two cameras, if that was to help facilitate that, and if you could talk just a little bit about what you guys did to sort of create the conditions where you could get those performances, because the performances, all four of them are great. Yeah, well, first and foremost, we had um, two weeks rehearsal, um, in, in mostly in my kitchen, and uh, and that really helped. Um, also, David Harbour, who, who plays Joel in the movie, he had been in the original play, so he certainly knew his character backwards and forwards. Um, but yeah, great actor, you know, first off cast, great actors. Second of all, you know, we developed, you know, the two weeks rehearsal and then they all wound up essentially living together at the, at the hotel where we were shooting. So even when we weren't formally having rehearsal, they were still getting together and sort of developing rapport and chemistry among each other. 
Um, and then on set, yeah, exactly, two cameras, which um, which is great because we could, you know, with performers that good, they would get it in the first take, you know, or, and I would be happy. Now, a lot of times the actors would want second, third takes for themselves because, you know, they're actors. But um, but as far as Nancy and I were concerned, we would get it. And, and she had a great technique working with the two cameras where they weren't filming each other, which... I'd done that on my last film, and two <laughs> operators almost got in fisticuffs over that. Yeah. But um, so we were getting terrific footage, and then what we could do then on the second and third take frequently is just change up, you know, lens, size, focal length, yeah. and uh, you know, shifting focus and and uh, you know, moving the dolly a little bit different, and so that gave us even more opportunities for yeah. uh, for coverage. Yeah, I had worked a fair amount in television where we used two cameras, and I was really comfortable with it. And uh, I tried not to do uh, shooting uh, at, you know, as you said, two cameras toward each other, so the lighting was preserved. And uh, and that would save us time then in lighting. We didn't, you know. Well, um, but I didn't do, yeah, uh, so much like that. <laughs> no, uh, you can't see. Nancy's doing fingers at no, each other. But, no, but wait a second. Uh, I, I'm glad no, this, you said no, this that is it didn't this take is audio. me a lot of time for lighting. <laughs> That's good. No, we moved quickly we, yeah. and uh oh no really lighting did take a long time let's, <laughs> let's, let's be just, clear i heard but, you say it no no but it the point saved us time. but <laughs> i think as we sort of came into our rhythm by the certainly by the second week i think what we realized is that okay well lighting would take a long time also because we had an inexperienced crew and but camera movements camera changes would not take a long no. time I, so I that was that was the trick as variable yeah. primes uh, right. and that was the fastest way to and we get did, that and, second And take. I also like some, some Sometimes slow pushes, too. We did so. do zooms, and we hit zooms in dolly moves. And yeah. Again, uh, it was a little harder in the apartment. Uh, I shot with very small lights that we did rig and china balls. I was supposed to feel claustrophobic. Uh, it was much more open in the Nebraska house, and I was able to light from windows, and uh, that made it faster. Um, my favorite location was the uh, Argentinian uh, flashback dream sequence that Julia has, and that was at the old zoo in Griffith Park. I'd never been there. Yeah, beautiful and, place. Yeah, it was great. And uh, I was counting on uh, Putt-Putt Jenny to uh, sh throw some sun into these grates and add some smoke uh, that were overhead. And I just remember the Putt-Putt breaking down and waiting to get the other one and you know it's not like a big production where i had a big jenny and large lights i mean i i had a putt putt but fortunately we got it in time and i, I really liked doing that scene and i'd never been there so that was exploring los angeles well it's it's funny i mean you talk about that scene and there are so many great scenes in the movie that are either memories or people telling stories or flashbacks or whatever. And, and a lot of those each have a kind of very distinct look. And I was wondering if you guys could talk about some of those, how you chose like the, the certain looks you would have for different characters, memories and dreams and things like that. Well, I mean like this Argentinian scene, which then sort of segues into a New York scene. I mean, that, that it's scripted. It's, you know, it had a golden hue. So it's like, okay, well let's go, let's go golden. I, go, hue I went it, gold. Know, I mean, it's <laughs> informed by the, by the text. Um, and then other things like the, um, there's a, a scene with a with a Brazilian contractor at one point that's kind of a saucy love scene. Um, you know, okay, he's Brazilian, so let's go with, 
you know, green and yellow. And that was shot in my garage and half color. my wall was green anyway. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and again, let's, let's do it and, and let's really do it, you know, and, and play it up. And then, and then that also helps editorially when there's another scene in there where the guy falls off a ladder, which actually happens before that. But I think visually you remember, ah, you know, yellow and, and green and, and it really, it, it, and I've talked to enough audiences at festivals and it's like, they, they get these things because there are these visual cues. They're like, okay, I remember that because of the colors. Um, yeah. And we really tried to do as much as we could in camera and then supplemented in post. Uh, so although we were shooting, you know, as fairly raw in the red world, uh, what we had on our monitors, what we were really going for, mm -hmm. except, you know, some of the desaturation that we did as New York went on, we did, obviously did later in post and uh, kept it more, more and more dreary as the New York world continues. Yeah. Uh, the New York exterior shots, there was already a green cast. I mean, we had sodium vapor, mercury vapor, and fluorescence in the deli, and... Uh, we just continued that were that look happening and pushing it a little from what was already there. Right. And when Julie's walking around in as part of the dream sequence in New York, I mean it was we had a perfect sunset in New York. Um That's right. you know. You couldn't have asked for it any better on a on a back lot. So Right. It was not an arc light. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really it's the sun on twenty third street, you know. Right. So it was just good timing and good luck. Right. A lot of times. Well, when I watched the movie, I think I wrongly assumed that you were shooting a lot of it on stages and things. And just from, from hearing you talk, it sounds like it was mostly... Yeah, it's at the Warner Brothers lot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's all location. So it was all on location. So yeah. um, how did you find your locations and how did you work with the production designer to shape the look of the movie? Well, we changed production designers the day before shooting. <laughs> so that made it I interesting. Knew I convinced this that woman, made it challenging. my friend, that she Tracy, should come aboard. she was wonderful. And, yes, um, Tracy but, Gallagher, if I shot her friends short, which right. I did. <laughs> yeah, we made all kinds of fun <laughs> deals like that. Now, the, the house where we filmed, the interior of the house was um, some f filmmaker friends of ours who came on as, as producers because we filmed in their house. And uh, But, they're, you know, they're great, good friends of ours, and, and, and other people have shot at this house before. Um, and then, luckily, we found an exterior in Nebraska that totally matched with it, so that, that worked out you know, perfectly. Um, and then we stumbled into this hotel, the Redbury right. hotel, where at first we found it as a, just a place for our actors to stay. They were going to give us a great deal because it was a new hotel. They kind of want to be the Chateau Marmont, but without like all the suicides, but, um, but kind of they, they want actors to stay there. And then it turned out we, we went over to just check out the rooms and, and we'd been searching for a New York apartment in LA for, you know, weeks and weeks all over town. But like, People want so much money for because they've shot Law and Order episodes and all these grungy little places in Koreatown. And then we went to this place, and they're like, yeah, we'll give you a room for free because we just want people to shoot in our hotel because the guests think it's cool in Hollywood. And we're like, you betcha, you know. So we just got really lucky with those guys and wound up shooting two-thirds of the movie at the hotel, and they still talk to us, which is nice. Yeah, even though I set off the fire alarm. Yeah, uh, there was that, yeah. <laughs> and they didn't know how to turn it off. That was in the restaurant with just a little bit of smoke. Yeah. Um, well, another thing I like about the movie, it, you know, when I, I watched it twice and the oh. second time I watched it in terms of when you would have kind of 
very formal, precise compositions and when the camera would be more handheld right. and a little bit looser. And I was wondering yeah. if those kinds of things, are those decisions made ahead of time or is it intuitive on the um, day? Or what no, that thing? was, uh, yeah, that the decision when to go hand, handheld, that was very intentional, right. you know, sort of it's we don't do it much but when we do it it's it's kind of towards the end of the movie where things get a bit more heated and you know i mean it's not the most original decision but it it but it worked and it, and it served our purposes and i think it heightened the drama when it needed to and you know but we didn't overplay it either or hopefully we didn't um and I, so yeah so that was definitely a decision beforehand and then in and then there was kind of a general decision to sort of start wider and and moving closer you know, by the end of the movie, you know, as it gets more intense. And, and then also in the Midwestern house to use more long lenses and zoomed in and in the New York apartment use shorter lenses, you know, wider lenses, but but be closer mm -hmm. if, as a way to distinguish how, how we did the close-ups. You know, I mean, then you get on the set and you're like, well, the camera is where it has to go and the lens <laughs> is where it is. But you at least start with an idea, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then you try to execute as best as you can. Yeah, but that, it's better than not starting with an idea. That New York apartment, that was small. Yeah. It was very small. And you know, I'm glad that we originally decided to shoot widescreen 235, mainly because we wanted ensemble cast to be in the frame sometimes with all four. You know, There's text and subtext. You want to see what everybody is reacting to. And so uh, I thought it was a, a great decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, to do widescreen, and uh, it also emphasized the architecture. Even though we did work longer in, um, we tried to you know work longer in the Nebraska scenes, you could see more architecture in the house, uh, which I liked. And I do remember. I mean, Tracy, thank God, found a lot of furniture. But I remember running around with you, looking for furniture, and I brought in all kinds of crystal and stuff for that. Oh, yeah. No, and I then mean, the, was, the photographs on the wall are oh, my friend art? Jeff Vespa's pictures of hamburgers. And, uh, you know, he's the guy who started... Um, Very Klaus Oldenburg, uh, yeah. Uh, wire image. Um, and, um, but it was definitely yeah. a team effort to have a particular look. And fortunately, uh, I mean, I think the one item about set design that had controversy was the pull-out bed <laughs> because we couldn't find a decent-looking pull-out bed. And there pull was couch, a yeah. whole I mean, pull-out couch yeah, yeah, this discussion is like the day And I'm with like, the we're actors. never going to see the bottom of the right. couch. Who but cares? The actors were obsessed it, about They really weren't, yeah. Because we were just putting a little mattress by this decent-looking couch. And, of course, you watch the movie now. You can't. It's fine. Oh, that yeah. took a lot of time. Yeah, anyway. But, uh, but other than that, you know, I was fortunate to uh, witness some of the chemistry at the um, initial rehearsals, and that was helpful. And uh, it also was the first time I worked with Julia Stiles. Two more to be, two more projects. Yeah, right she after liked that. how Nancy made her looks. She <laughs> got her hired on the next couple of things. So. It was funny. Uh, but... I just thought the actors were unbelievable. I mean, this is what I miss about not operating when you're shooting digitally. Uh, you know, I have and also two cameras. You yeah, want to be at the monitors. Thing. But I always liked 
getting in, into the psyche of these characters, you know, when you're an operator, it's such a private moment. I did miss that, but there was no way. And uh, it's not pleasant unless you have an optical viewfinder from the Alexa these days to operate. So uh, I, I didn't miss it that much. But, well, um, it's interesting that you talk about getting into the psyche of the characters and the actors because uh, another thing throughout this movie is at different points you find sort of visual corollaries for the interstates of the characters. Right. For, you know, each of them, you kind of show what their perspective is and you do, you know, different things. I mean, from like subtle shifts of light and color mm -hmm. to shifts in the speed of the camera a little mm -hmm. bit and the angles and things like that. And I was wondering right. if you could talk a little bit about some of those decisions and... Well, again, I, the color, there is a shift uh, in Nebraska from normal to warmer tonight uh, as time passes. Right, and in the New York scenes, we, and this is really in, in post-production, right. we desaturated as it, as it, as the movie goes on to the end where people were like, wait, is this black and white? <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's, and so that was kind of tricky sort of doing that slowly and gradually so it wasn't jarring, but... Um, so I think we pulled that off, and and again that was re relates to you know the the New York photographer, the Tay Diggs character being this you know sort of analog guy. You see his chemicals, you see his negatives lying around. So okay, he would have that kind of look, and then the the more digital guy, and he puts his his pictures on you know this large plasma screen TV, and, and that we keep flashing to, and and so kind of using those as emblematic of the characters, right. Um, yeah. And yeah. There was but you said it really well. <laughs> Whatever you said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, you know, you bring up the, the stills because that was another part of the production design I really liked was the use of photos by each of the guys that are, you know, are in there. And that's a very prominent part of the design. And they seem very specifically used and, and chosen. So um, what was your thinking there and who took the stills? What was that? Right. Well, we had during that rehearsal period uh we spent one day um at the mole richardson right larry ASC parker's stage yeah not as yeah what it's, it's larry parker's uh home a stage where uh he teaches afi has classes there which okay. i had taught that was my stage and uh so, so he we went there and with nancy the, has this great friend uh, named mark hanauer, mark hanauer is an photographer. art and uh journal photographer journalist photographer and terrific and he came on board and and we just had a day of of shooting uh which which again i think was really good for the for the actors too because it was kind of like sort of almost a day of production but right. you know because we was, had makeup and hair that day right. and we um, all got to know each and, other and and essentially taking pictures of them back when they were sort of in their college or post you know or graduate school day so it was a good it was a good way for them to kind of relate to okay well this is you know, the, we're really shooting their backstory here, and then and then we use those pictures, you know, throughout the movie. Um, but I think it was good for the characters too, mm -hmm. and, and for the actors. Um, and uh, yeah, we were able to use those in in both locations. And then uh, Tim Smith and Scott Joe of Canon helped us out with the five D, uh, because we did need to project um, immediate, you know, the immediacy of actually taking the photographs. So some of the photographs up on the large plasma screen are actually Tay Diggs that he shot. You know, so that was good. Uh, but they really helped us out there. Um, the actual first day of production was April 15th. 
And Dan had found, he had scouted with his son, who was how old? Uh, eight. Eight. Uh, the weekend before, he found snow in Southern California that was short, dry. Yeah, because there was no snow left in Nebraska at that point. So the only place in America with snow was in L.A., naturally. Right. Um, so, yeah, about an hour north of L.A. And uh, at that point, we really had very little money. Um, I rented an AF100 uh, Panasonic and, and when you uh, say rented, you rented it for another shoot. Oh, did <laughs> Just I? delayed it for a day, the return for a day. I, shh. <laughs> so, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, right. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and so we took like three or eight or nine people carrying 400 pounds of equipment because I told Nancy to carry light. <laughs> I had no idea that it was so far. And Dan kept saying, it's just a little further. Yeah, just so a little further. About 8,600 feet took us an hour to climb up to the top of this mountain. And, um oh. No one was really that all. I thought it was long. Yeah. It was hard. It was really yeah. hard with a with a wheelchair. Yeah, it was, um, and that was tough. That was our first day, but we found a perfect clearing up there. You know, no trees. Horizon went on for miles, and it and it looked flat. It looked like Nebraska, and there was real snow. And I we knew, you know, so it was flashback that we were going to go cool. And I, I think I even overdid it uh, that day, just making everything blue cool. But you know, we could bring all that back, even with the AF one hundred. Because yeah. that was before we knew we were going to shoot red. We didn't know what camera we were going to shoot. I mean, I w- with. So we were yeah. like, whatever camera we got, let's shoot it. You know? Right. So uh, that was just a crazy day. And then we had this guy we ran into way up there with his dog, and he helped us get some equipment down, which I think was really helpful because yeah. we had a fair amount. You know, you, when you're working with the single sensor cameras, you need film lenses, and then you need filters and map box and tripod. And we actually had a second camera, a Sony EX3. Uh, and we had behind the scenes, and you know, it became a whole deal with one actor, David Harbour, yeah. who was a pretty good sport about tipping his wheelchair over <laughs> in the snow. Well, I was going to ask about how you decided on the camera you used, but it sounds like it was dictated more by just kind of what you could get versus rather than... Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I had done um, some work at Burns and & Sawyer, and they were really helpful with the deal. And we were actually able to get a truck and lighting from them as well. It was a one-stop shop, pretty much. I mean, we did have... A couple other uh, vendors that helped us out. And I should say, night. speaking of trucks, you know the the, oh, the you know this tells you a little bit about how these productions go. You know the the first day of production or second day, maybe you know one of the producers comes up to me and says, "Dan, we got a real problem." I said, "What is it?" He said, "Well, one of the PAs just crashed our truck into a car." I said, "Well, is anyone hurt?" He said, "No, no, no, no one's hurt." I said, "Oh, yeah, that's fine. That happens to me on every one of my films. You know, that's we'll, we'll get by." And then uh, the next day, he comes up to me and says, "Dan, I got." got really bad news i said what is it he said well one of our other pas just crashed our other truck into another car i said well is anyone hurt he said no i said well that's terrific news he said wait no no it's horrible news we just crashed our second truck i said no you don't understand i've never had a film where i've had more than one truck so you know for me this was i knew we were making a real movie here you know? <laughs> it turned out to be the neighbor next to the house we were renting so yeah there's always good. someone who parks their car and under the truck right you know. so uh but no it was uh was a real movie uh <laughs> I, and i got used to the ever revolving door of crew and i think we made it work i mean yeah. uh, and everybody's really proud of it and uh 
Yeah, 21 festivals in seven countries, a grand jury prize in the Bahamas, and now getting distribution in June. So we must have done something right. Do you know how fast we shot this movie? How fast? 15 days, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it looks great. Like, I mean, you're you're saying, you're telling all these stories, and the sort of common thread seems to be, well, I knew this guy, or this person did a favor, or this, you know, whatever, but, like, just from watching the movie, knowing none of, you know, I watched it knowing nothing, really, about the background. And I would have assumed that it was, you know, probably a much bigger budget than you had. I mean, it looks good. It doesn't look like you're straining against your resources at all. So, you know, there are a lot of independent filmmakers who listen to this podcast. I mean, is, is there anything you haven't talked about that are sort of tricks you have for, you know, uh, making the most of what you have when you don't have a lot? Well, you have to actually be realistic about what you do have and. Uh, we didn't have huge lights. But I did have HMIs, especially you know for the daylight um, location. Um, basically, I put lights out every window, but they were very small, and you don't need a lot now. Um, so I thought a lot about what our crew could handle, um, and I pushed it. I think, you know, I did push it because you know, I don't know any other way to work. I was a gaffer. I came up that way. And uh, I've done enough documentaries to know how to work small when I have to. But um, everybody always kids me. But, you know, yeah, she was available light, every light available. <laughs> and uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I don't know how these lights kept showing up on set, uh, but somehow Nancy would, I'm, no matter how many times we would try to cut her budget and... <laughs> <laughs> just these lights would just appear out of nowhere. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes, you know, some of the best shots, I think the movie came out of necessity. You know, there's a, there's a great shot where um, Melissa George's character, you know, is at the top of a, of a staircase. And it's a, it's a terrific shot, very dramatic. And, you know, that we, we had cut a whole scene where she was supposed to, we had a steady cam and we was going to follow her along an upstairs hallway. And we just didn't have time to shoot it. And we, you know, had like half an hour left and we were like just, put up you know one light and all of a sudden it looks beautiful and dramatic and, and it worked great but um but I think also my advice to other indie filmmakers is is um you know to take your time in post-production too because the, a lot of what you see is there in post I mean we were reframing in post we spent I don't know I mean we had a great deal with a color correcting company but it was you know we could only be there you know a couple hours once every couple of weeks so it kind of stretched on over four weeks four months something like that four months yeah and for color correction but that gives you time to think about things and change things and reevaluate and and editing you know so and we weren't pushing for some mystical festival deadline it's like no you finish the film when the film needs to be finished not when you know Sundance tells you it needs to be finished or something that's really important to take the post time um we actually color corrected on a monitor. We never saw it big. That was a little disconcerting, but it was a very small budget, and uh, we had a d- decent colorist. They were a commercial house, and so at least uh, you know we knew a common language, so uh, we could we could make it happen fairly efficiently. Were there any unpleasant surprises when you did see it on a big screen after all that? Um, the only surprise I had was at Slam Dance. Um, I had uh, oh, never yeah, we, shown we, that was a one film of our screening. there, and oh, yeah. we went in for a tech rehearsal, and the first scene of the restaurant, 
looked so green to me. And I, you know, also the projector's not necessarily state of the art. And it, at least I, we had a projector. Yeah, at least I mean, there was, was one. Other years we, you know, but uh, just you puppets, know. You know. right? <laughs> puppets. But uh, uh, we made a very slight correction on the projector that I don't think they really wanted to, but because Dan had started the festival, they let us, yeah, and it was fine. But it was the funniest screening. I, I really got into the slam dance spirit because it was so oversold. People were sitting in the aisles, and uh, there's a whole milkshake theme in the New York apartment. Uh, so we got all of our producers to distract them. We had them make milkshakes for the audience. Before that was great. That it was worked. terrific. Yeah, and it was great. just a great spirit uh, at the screening. But and then we were able to, uh, Julia was able to Skype in her, her Q&A, so we had her projected on right. the screen at the end. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great showing it at festivals, I right. mean, in all kinds of different environments. And I've now seen it on a lot of screens and a lot of different formats. And um, yeah, no, no big surprises. I mean, I, you know, well, I have yet to see it properly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful. Yeah, but I've seen it on HD Cam and Blu-ray and, and different things. And uh, no, I mean, I think it, it holds up nicely. And um, you know, we get tremendous compliments on Nancy's work in the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, to wrap things up, I'm just curious. You know, I noticed again watching the end credits. I noticed that Nancy, in addition to having a director of photography credit. There's a special thanks credit to her, which is kind of unusual. So uh, how did that come about? What was the thinking there? She contributed a lot to the movie. I really cared about yeah. this movie and independent filmmaking, and I wanted it to be the best that it could. We were, we were, it was a small film, and I needed to get the equipment I needed. Yeah. We figured it out ways to do it i mean with the camera and i and i've been such a fan of nancy since since i was in film school oh god you know, 50 years school. ago now um Stop. when i first saw uh, visions of light um oh. right that's the name of it. Visions yeah. Of light? yeah yeah and uh and i thought you know who you know what young cinematographer had the balls to shoot all these other cinematographers and actually in was, h early hd yeah yeah the when, yeah and then nancy finally told me how they shot it and i thought you know that's someone i want to work with you know, years later, and I was lucky enough to, to do so. And, and it was great because, you know, Nancy, in addition to her own skills, brings this great font of knowledge from all these other masters that, that she's known and interviewed and worked with. And so we could make references to, oh, this scene from this movie or, you know, things like that. And uh, so I was just, you know, to have an ASC cinematographer work on your film was, you know, what are you going to say? You know, of course. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, all the hard work you guys did really paid off and the right. movie's opening now, you know, in summer movie season amidst all the big franchise movies and stuff. And I really highly recommend anybody listening to this that they seek it out and go see it on the big screen because it is a very, uh, you know, visually precise and, and stylish movie as well as being a great actress piece. So uh, thank you guys so much for coming in and talking with me. No, thank it. you for having thank us you. here. And yes, go see the film. This has been Jim Hempel talking with Nancy Schreiber and Dan Mervish for the American Cinematographer Podcast. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.